Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of books that have come out this very week. Comic books, that is. And we review them and we talk about them. Let's kick it off with a big book that's been a long time coming. The seeds have been planted long before this, and they're finally flowering. Empire number one from Marvel, story by Al Ewing and Dan Slott, script by Al Ewing, and art by Valerio Shiti. Uh, this is a book that Dan actually teased to us on our live show a couple of weeks back. So if you want some teases and more explanation about what went into it, go back, listen to the live show. But the general rundown, if you read the Zero issues or you didn't, is that the Kree and Skrull armadas are finally united behind Hulkling who is half Cree, half Skrull. They are headed towards Earth. Fantastic Four seemingly were on the side of the army. The Avengers are seemingly on the side of the Kowati, who is a group of plant people who, as far as we knew, were very peaceful. As it turns out, by the end of this book, not everything is what it seemed. What do you think about this? Finally, after a very belated period of time that I don't know why it took so long, Get yeah, get your shit together, guys. What's the matter? Yeah. Run out of ink. Uh, <laughs> uh, but Empire's finally out. What did you think about the kickoff? You know, I trusted plants for a long time. But have you ever seen these Venus flytraps? Eh, they're mm-hmm. up to no good. They're trying to <laughs> eat you. Uh, Pete, um, what did you think about this? I know you weren't very into the idea of zero issues, but do you feel like yeah. the first issue kicked it off well? Well, so this was like, this was weird because it's like, okay... It seems like there's going to be a start of a battle, but we don't know why. And there's like a lot of like back and forth of what may or may not have happened. I feel like once things get kind of rolling, this will be great. But this was a little uh, kind of confusing for me. Um, I did love the Ghost Rider uh, Quinjet bit. That was really fun. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's happening yet. And uh, I'm hoping once we get some ans- answers, the Black Panther suit was bad, badass, and that was just fucking great. Um, I like but, I yeah. like that Ghost Rider is sort of more a rider than anything. Um, uh, <laughs> whatever he does is whatever vehicle he's in, he's like I'm ghosting this shit, and then it is yeah. badass. Um, but yeah, I mean I understand what you're saying, Pete, because I do think what this first issue does well is it p- puts the heroes in this 
situation where they're like, we don't know quite what's happening either. It seems like this is the side we should be on, and it turns out maybe everyone's wrong. Um, and I sort yeah. of like that. It feels very um, topical or present uh, to, the, to the lives we're living now, where it's like there's so much uncertainty, but we're all just trying to make choices. And the characters are doing the same things. Like the Fantastic Four, Reed Richards, known for being correct at all times, is sort of like, I think I know what I'm doing. Probably wrong. Tony Stark, same thing. And he messes yeah. up. Um, Hulkling, who's this, supposed to be this big bad leader, is clearly like a weak leader and just like trying to get by. Like uh, all these things I thought were cool choices. I uh, oh also I was, there's – go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No. I was just going to say the She-Hulk <laughs> moment was kind of uh, also kind of creepy and weird where it's like, yes, it's me. It's definitely me and not anybody else. And honestly, I feel more alive than I ever have in years. You know, and it was just like uh, that was kind of a creepy little bit, but I'm sure that'll be explained later. I This is a fun issue. I mean, Al Ewing and Dan Slott are good writers. They're solid writers. They know the characters and the Agreed. material really well. So very enjoyable. And the action, as you mentioned, is good across the board. But to me, this felt like a zero issue. Like the zero issues yeah. were like negative what issues or whatever you want to talk about. But this was so focused on that twist there that I think we can spoil it. We can talk about it. If you don't yeah. want to know, turn away. Don't listen for the next couple of minutes. But uh, the Kawadi, the plant people that seemed evil, and uh, if you go all back to the incoming book that came out months ago at this point, were definitely indicated to be evil, are in fact evil, and are the ones who are starting the empire. It's not the Scree Scree Scrawl Armada who they decimate by the end. Uh, it's actually the Earth that they're going after. They're going to take over the Earth. They're going to take over the whole universe. That's a great starting story point. I'm excited yeah. to read what's in the next issue. Yeah, but me to too. me, it felt like this was too much lift off of the zero issues. You could have had like countdown to empire be those two issues and this third issue and then get into it, which doesn't mean they're bad by any means, but now I feel like we're actually getting to the thrust of the event and I'm much more excited about it, frankly, than I was about the Kree scroll stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree uh, completely with all that. Good, good end, especially. Yes. Moving on to Strange Adventures number three from DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by Mart, uh, Mitch Gerards and Evan Doc Shaner. Uh, this is, of course, picking up on the story of Adam Strange and his wife who are being investigated by Mr. Terrific. Did some did their daughter die on an alien planet? Did she not? That's what they want to know. On this issue, Alana, who is Adam Strange's wife, goes on the offensive while back on Ron. In flashbacks, we see him do a fight to the death for her hand in marriage. Uh, every issue of this is great. I can't believe we're only three issues in at this point because so much is going on and it seems like there's going to be so many twists and turns by the end. We talk a lot about unreliable narrators um, on this podcast, and um, <laughs> or we I, did on our live show, yeah. But I don't know if we do that on a constantly. normal basis. I would we say have, we always do. We do, yeah. We have an unreliable narrator, Alex. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll explain why later. 
Oh boy. <laughs> Love the new catchphrase. Um, and yeah. I, uh, I mentioned that because I do think we don't quite know what's happening here. And I think what Tom King does a great job with is making a lot of, making these characters hard to trust. Like, um, I don't think we know who is right at all. The heroes, I don't think we can trust them. Feels like they're lying. Adam Strange is lying to Batman and other people. Um, Mr. Terrific feels like he is on the case, but also he has a bunch of mitigating circumstances. Like, it's just a great miasma of story, and I'm excited to see how it sort of starts to land. Ooh, great word. Uh, I feel like uh, there are some really interesting kind of moments in this comic as far as, like, I thought it had some fun moments, some really dark moments, and then some weird stuff where, like, the gladiator moment where he's like, oh, man, I'm strange. That was really fun. Um, then it got real weird when he went crazy on that lizard guy and was like, killing beating someone to a pulp there it was really messed up but then also there's a weird thing about suing the justice league and i was just like what is going on um we're kind of getting little bits of stuff in a way that sometimes can be a little frustrating because you want to know it all but like it's delivered to us in such a way where it's very intriguing and makes you want to keep reading it. And it does a great job of walking that line. And I think that like Tom King is an amazing writer and I'm going to sit back and trust uh, what he is doing and how this is all going to unfold. But the art's fantastic and it's really, really cool and interesting. The thing that was fascinating to me about this issue was Alana, who we haven't really focused on quite as much. Like, the first issue was Adam Strange. The second issue was Mr. Terrific. Here, it's not 100% focused on her, and we certainly don't get to see inside her head very purposely. But the way she's drawn, particularly by Mitch Gerard's, like, Evan Dockshainer almost draws her as a blank, right? Like, there's something calculated going on behind her, yeah. even though she's supposed to be this pure alien princess. Mitch Gerard's, in his scenes, she is set up as, like, a Bond bad girl. She's smoking. She's getting out of the pool. Mind you, she's wearing a white swimsuit, which technically should indicate, like, good girl, but... Her body language, the way that he sets her up, particularly against Batman, when Batman is like, stop this, we are the Justice League, you can't do a publicity campaign against us. And she's basically like, yeah, fucking watch me do it, is a masterwork. But what I was saying about the third issue is the entire time I was reading this, I was like, she can't be the bad guy, though, right? Like, you're not tipping your hand that early about her because there's so many more issues to come. So it's, it's fascinating to see all these characters built up in such an intriguing way. And it's going to be entirely different from what we think it is by the end of the run of the series. It's almost like I, he's, I re- he's responding to um, the uh, Mr. Miracle book where it's like they were so Mr. Miracle and Big Barter were so good and you're rooting for them the whole time. And with this, it's like, ah, uh, I want to root for them, but, they keep doing fucked up stuff. I can't trust them. I just want to get back to something Zalbin said. Uh, Alex, you judge people on the color of their swimsuit? Always. If I see yeah. somebody with palm trees on their swimsuit, I'm like, uh, get out of here, you lazy guy. Come on. What wow. about my hot pink Speedo? Uh, yeah. Wh- you're trustworthy. <laughs> <laughs> That's what no, he's always I mean, said. The thing about like the swimsuit thing is in... In classic movies, in all movies, but like particularly in a Bond movie, if a woman comes out of a pool wearing a black bathing suit, she is the bad girl. 
usually with a heart of gold, but like that indicates bad. Versus she comes out in a white swimsuit, she's a good girl. That's I how they're set just, it up. I just feel like you're putting some kind of old timey thing onto something else, and I don't know if it, it holds is up. so clearly a reference, one hundred percent to this comic book. There is no way around it. Okay. Sorry, Pete. Well, uh, ne- <laughs> next up, The Ludocrats, number three from Image Comics, written by Kieran Gillen and Here Jim Rossignol, art by Jeff Stokely. So I, I got to say, I feel like we've been a little mixed on this book, despite the fact that yes. the art by Jeff Stokely is great. Kieran Gillen is great. We love him on the show. Um, but this is about a world that, as indicated by the title, is ridiculous, but also obsessed with... Order is the wrong word, but sort of just uh, prim and properness in equal balance with insanity. There is a main character who's trying to free his true love, who is a train. Uh, There is a deeper conspiracy with a pope type figure. What do you think about this issue? And are you still on board after three issues? Uh, I... uh, I feel like this is... The name of this book should be like Randocrats. As opposed to <laughs> ludocrats, because it does feel um, like it's here's some random things. And like there's a lot of fun stuff like them uh, fucking around the countryside and it being a natural disaster, I think is very fun um, and all of that. Um, but it it does feel like it set a premise that is hard, a hard bar to reach. Yeah, um, the art in this comic is really unbelievable, really fantastic. Some great storytelling. The shit just gets weird for me. Um, I'll, I was really impressed by the back matter and uh, all the cool kind of stuff they kind of delve into. They even kind of do a little map and it gives you detailed of like all the different places you can go in this crazy world. And I would just like to live at number seven, which is Booze Town. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you, Justin, that... Like we said, the past couple of issues, this should be a little more ridiculous. I think it's a worthwhile book picking up, particularly if you're looking for something with some great, ridiculous, occasionally raunchy art throughout. The ideas are very fun, but I don't... My main feeling coming out of this was I didn't feel like I needed to pick up the next issue. I feel like I've gotten the sense of the book. I understand what's about. Maybe it will pick up and get past that hump as it goes forward, but right now... It's not making me laugh out loud necessarily very often, and that's yeah. what I'm looking for with this. Right. That's that. I agree. Yeah, that's all. Not, not to love about it too much, because, again, I think it's a worthwhile package. Next up, one that I'm sure Pete loved to read, Faithless number two, Faithless two, <laughs> Number two for Boob Studios, written by Brian Azzarello, art by Maria Lovett. Uh, This is, of course, picking up on the first series of Faithless that a woman who discovers a world of blood and sex and magic and art that is all intertwined. Uh, She has decided to take the next step and become an artist herself. And in this issue, she heads off to Italy, I think. Paris? I don't know. Some European country to explore more of her art world. Uh, Maria Lovett's art in particular is so So good good. in this book. So good. Uh, It's so worth picking up just for that. Pete, I don't even want to ask. Justin, what did you think about this book? Um, I like this book. This book um, does a great job of 
tonally combining this sort of, um, like you said, blood, sex, magic, um, and then putting it in this art world as the backdrop, it feels uh, like sort of 80s art world where it's like these fancy rich people, internet traveling internationally, picking up artists, making the scene, and then combining it um, with the sort of uh, the binding circle that we see later in the book. Like, I think that's that's right where this book should be. I think there's a lot that happens. It takes some time to get to the fun stuff um, and uh, the exciting stuff. So I think it could be it could move a little faster. But in general, I really like it. And it sets just a very nice, specific tone and sex. Pete, Pete talk about the sex. Yeah, you know, there's some really interesting, cool stuff about this book. I think the art's amazing. I'm interested to see where it goes. There was a (laughs) a movie called Velvet Budsaw with Jake Gyllenhaal that was on Netflix a while ago. Uh, This reminds me of that a little bit in terms of being over the top and gross at times and a little sexy at times. Um, It reminds me of Basquiat, the movie as well. Yes, uh, so I really like it a lot. I understand why it's not for everybody, but again, I think Maria Lovett's characters are so good and there's stuff that's picking up in this issue in particular from the first series that I think is really intriguing for the plot going forward. Next up, Amazing Spider-Man number 44 from Marvel, written by Nick Spencer, art by Kim Jacinto and Bruno Oliveira. This is finally getting to the thing that Nick Spencer has been building up his entire run on Spider-Man, there is a new villain that I'm blanking on the name of, but he has giant centipedes crawling all over him, and he yeah. is invading Spider-Man's dreams. Or is he? As I think his very, name is Lots of Legs. Lots of Legs. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, he's finally on the attack here. We're finally getting a sense of what's going to happen and what's coming for Spider-Man as we head towards, presumably, issue 50. Uh, what do you think about this one? Uh, I think it's funny that the last couple issues that we've talked about on the show, I was like, I love that we're back to fun Spider-Man adventures. And then this issue is like pretty dark, pretty upsetting. Um, we get a lot of like Peter Parker wishing he was married to Mary Jane, um, who I guess maybe that could maybe he could propose and we could see what happens there. Um and uh but I do like it. I like the dark turn. Um and I'm curious, this villain is sort of goofy and monologue and he he sort of says uh, like dumb stuff a little bit so i'm curious what the big reveal is going to be i i got a question um so we see him he's kind of like the you know he's he's leaving a voicemail there's a lot of emotion because he's talking to mj he's twirling an engagement ring then it's like he stops pukes bugs and then we see a panel where the bugs are coming from below his waist. So I'm assuming if he puked in one, he shit himself in the next panel. And then classic get, Spider-Man and then classic P review bad guy shows up and then kills Spider-Man. But maybe this is a dream and maybe he's not dead. But then the, you know, the bad guy starts kind of talking to us. So I was a little thrown by the, you know, I shit myself panel, but, um, I, yeah, I don't know. It's somehow it's Spider-Man. <laughs> There's so much stuff that's being built up in this issue. I was expecting this to be a little more like Eddie, here we go. But this feels like a prelude to what is about to be 
probably very different, but kind of like Nick Spencer's attempt on Craven's last hunt to give Spider-Man this adversary that really potentially can take him down. Like you said, Justin, there's a reveal coming. This character is somebody from Peter yeah. Parker's past. We just don't know who it is yet. I do love the fact that I can't figure out that mystery yet. Like we, yeah. I don't know who it is of all the possibilities. So I'm excited for that reveal. Did Pete? Did you guys think he shit himself, or was that just me? Was that? I think just you. Yeah, what do you was, guys think that? that what was do you the think main thing like I was focused on? Is like, did Spider Man shit Flash himself Thompson? or not? You know, well, like every issue, I want to know, and I always get to the letters page, and they're like, "Hey, true believers, Spider Man <laughs> didn't shit himself this issue." Well, what did you think happened in that panel I'm talking about? I don't know. Bugs burst out of him, but then he drowned in the bugs. From where? Where the bugs burst out? He of? has several orifices. It doesn't have to be his butt. Okay. Uh, maybe it's his belly button. Maybe it's his pee pee hole. What? You know? <laughs> Justin, you cut out for a second. We were talking about whether the bugs came out of his butt or his pee pee hole. What do you think? Yeah. Oh, I'm glad I missed that, but came back for the tail end. I guess pee pee hole. Because, you know, that that can, ex- that can expand uh, to whatever size you need it to. Um, I don't know if you heard me say this, but w- it, what if it was the soul, the, the villain is like Flash, high school Flash Thompson. Ooh. Like, like okay. Like maybe That's sort of a, some sort of time. Because the way he talks is sort of like a little bit uh, childish and bully-y. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I do wonder, just because it looks like a new version of maybe I'm going to get the name wrong. The sin eater shows up. I do wonder if it's going to be somebody tied to like the sin eater saga. So we'll get probably not captain Jean DeWolf. I don't remember what other major characters the sin eater killed, but it could be something from there who was like, (laughs) to your point, a kid that was killed by the sin eater or in the collateral damage of that. Who's always held it against him. Yeah, that could be it. Uh, All right, let's move on to another one. Star Trek Deep Space Nine, number one from IDW, written by Scott Tipton and David Tipton, art by Greg Scott. This is a noir set in Deep Space Nine. I don't know if you guys were fans of Deep Space Nine back in the day or not, but if so, how'd you think this channeled that show? Uh I, I, I didn't really watch any Deep Space Nine, but I really enjoyed this book. I really mm. thought this was a great issue. Um, I didn't get, I'm sure there were references that went over my head and stuff like that, but I, I thought the art and the storytelling was really fantastic in this. I, I really got into the kind of whodunit uh, kind of aspect of it. This was very cool and very interesting. I, I'm all in on this book. This is really great. I think they did a great job of channeling the series. This truly feels like an episode of the show that they've just t- made into a comic book. Like, hit all the characters at the same pacing they do. Quark feels the same way. Like, it, it's all very well done, I think. Yeah, I agree. And Noir is a good fit for DS9 as well. So if you're a fan of the series, or I guess not, definitely pick this up. Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, number 12 from DC Comics, written by Matt Fraction and art by Steve Lieber. Pete, I know you don't like this book. This book was great. And I now, was, this is the yeah. last issue, right? This is the last issue. <laughs> yeah. I was so happy with this last issue. What a great run. So fun. So funny. Tied up so well. 
Just uh, Steve Lieber's what? art was great. Matt Fraction's writing was great. I was very happy with this conclusion. Uh. All right, wait, wait. Yeah, I agree. Lots of twists and turns. Landed on some fun stuff um, with uh, Jimmy Olsen running the Daily Planet. Like, it was, uh, they really carried through on the theme and tone of the book to a fun, ridiculous conclusion. I Yeah, the fact that Lex had to buy uh, the Daily Planet to kind of save it was just kind of a little too ridiculous for me. The fact that Lex Luthor was helping uh, uh, kind of save the day was a little too crazy for me, but... Um, yeah, I don't know, man. This is a weird book. Some people like this kind of stuff. So, you know, check it out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I thought this was great. Definitely check this out in trades. Next up, the Ald Guard Force Multiplied number five from Image Comics, written by Greg Rucka, art and covers by Leandro Fernandez. This is the final issue of the second Old Guard series, you didn't check out the Netflix film this weekend if you didn't read the first series. It's about a bunch of immortal warriors. Uh, and in this series, they're going after one of their ex-girlfriends who has it out for them. Uh, Leandro Fernandez's art is so good. Greg Araka's yeah, writing is so good. The conclusion that they reach here, I won't uh, spoil the twists and turns, is great. But it's the sort of thing, it's funny... Uh, it's been a while since I read the rest of the Force Multiplied series, but having watched the movie, it definitely feels like you could watch the movie, read this last issue, and completely get exactly what's going on. And that's yeah, great. that's what I, I did, and I, I was really happy I was able to kind of follow everything. Um, I'm going to go back and read the first Old Guard series. I'm very excited about that. Uh, yeah, this is kind of like a new discovery for something somehow I missed. And uh, I'm very excited to check this out. The art's unbelievable, really great storytelling. And even if, you know, maybe you aren't familiar with the movie, whatever, this is, it's kind of a, it's, you can jump on board and kind of follow it. I, I'm really impressed with this book and uh, this kind of world. Makes sense. This book is basically a bunch of Wolverines. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I agree. I like the art. It's a fun, uh, fun book. Yeah, Yeah. good stuff. And definitely check out the Netflix movie as well, which was written by Rucka and is great. Giant Size X-Men Magneto, number one from Marvel, written by Jonathan Hickman and art by Ramon Perez in this issue. Magneto is set on a task by Emma Frost. And in order to do that, he has to team up with Namor. So a bunch of dicks all in one book. How'd you feel about this? It's so funny. These giant size X-Men books are so weird. They're like telling sort of parts of a story and we don't quite know what the whole deal is. They're enjoyable, but they're mostly setting shit up. And I'm just like, what? Give us a little bit of payoff or something here. Yeah, I uh, I agree. Like, they are very enjoyable, but they're also weird. And at first I was like, is Magneto just buying an island so the other island can fuck it? Like, I was a little like, what is happening? But I'm <laughs> he glad does that say wasn't he's very familiar with islands at one point yeah. in the book. Yeah. Uh, and those islands are familiar with each other, if you know what I, I mean. Uh, question I have, there is a point when Emma Frost and Magneto are having dinner and... He says, mind if I freshen up your drink? And he makes a bottle float over to her. Right. Bottles are made out of glass, not right. metal. What's yeah, I just going assumed, on there? I just assumed like it was some kind of metal fancy bottle or something. Here's, because I, otherwise. Believe me, I thought about this. Um, I believe they were drinking champagne. And I think maybe he was 
magnetizing the little wire from the very top of the champagne bottle. Um, And he was floating it over because I was like, it would probably wobble if he was just hovering it over just by the wire bit. Man. And but if he opened it up, though, if he did the wire bit, then he'd pop it off and the champagne would drop everywhere. Yeah. That's Uh, I agree. Major fuck up on Marvel's part, and I'm done with reading. Yeah, he's not. He's not champagne, Edo. (laughs) (laughs) But I would love it if there was a character named that. But also, they were they were like, man, this food is to die for. To I love that. die for. And then they just kept looking at each other. And I was like, is one of you going to kill the other one? <laughs> like, what's... Well, that's uh, what I love I, about Hickman. These Hickman books, like, the f- details are worth it, no matter w- if there's not enough story. Yeah. And uh, the characterizations are great in this one. Magneto is fun. Emma Frost is fun. Namor is fun. Uh, Magneto and Namor just being very casually going to the bottom of the sea is very fun. Yeah. But, yeah, to your point, there's stuff that happens at the end with Emma Frost that feels like I I need this to be a complete package. Like I need to yeah. read this issue and understand what's going on here. Versus, why do you have a sentinel castle on an island, Amber Frost? What's going on? Yeah. Also, it was funny because when I was reading, I was like, "Oh man, who's being more di- of a dick than Magneto?" And I was like, "Oh, Namor, that's awesome." Yeah. I was like, "Who <laughs> could who could pull this off and not immediately get killed when he shows up?" And I was like. Well done, Marvel. Well done. That was well played. Gotcha. Cheers to you. Betty Page, number one, from Dynamite Comics, written by Carla Pacheco, uh, art by Vincenzo Frederici. This is a modern take on Betty Page. She is going to an island. She is filming a movie. But murder, most foul, happens on the island. I don't know anything about Betty Page. I don't know if you guys do. If you do, what do you think about this book? I don't know anything either, but this book is how it gets out of hand quickly. (laughs) <laughs> Shit is happening like crazy on this island. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't either. But uh, this is this is an interesting kind of take where it was just like we're rooting for her, um, you know. And it seems like you know she got kind of a, a raw deal when she didn't get the part that she wanted, but then kind of like ended up getting it. So that was cool. And then it's just a lot of weird elephant stuff. But uh, yeah. I, I think it's interesting. I think it does a good job of setting up a world in the first issue to kind of get you excited for more. Um, Yeah, and apparently she's really good with elephants. So I got to admit something right here on the podcast. Until we started talking about it, I was very confused the entire time I was reading this book because I thought I kept thinking of uh, Betty Boop. Oh, what? <laughs> Classic mistake. She looks nothing like that. No, you... I know. That's why I was so confused. I was oh like, this God. looks nothing like Betty Boop. Huge take on Betty Boop here. Yes. Uh, yeah, the, I thought this was fun. Like, just as a peachy, clean character in the middle of everything else that's going on. But like you said, there's so much that happens in this issue. It's occasionally <laughs> a little hard to follow. Uh, that said, the art by Vincenzo Frederici is a lot of fun, and I think the characters are well drawn. It reminds me of the Dodson's work a little bit, which I think is appropriate for the character. Um, So fun stuff. From DC Comics, Dark Knight's Death Metal, number two, written by Scott Snyder, art by Greg Capullo. This takes place in the DC Universe proper, where the DC Universe has been taken over by the Batman Who Laughs, 
Perpetua, the creator of the multiverse, is slowly destroying every multiverse in the background. That man who laughs was killed last issue, and the heroes are moving back on the offensive. What did you think about this one? This was crazy. Uh, again, we started with the Sergeant Rock stuff, which is interesting. Um, and then we had the, uh, you know, spoilers, but like the Adam Batman immediately gets crushed yeah. by the Batmobile monster truck. I mean, this is just this is what I want out of, you know, metal, right? Like this crazy over the top shit. Um, and I also really love this kind of like map that they have that they show that's kind of like the bat symbol which is really cool i think this is fun as far as just like badass crazy shit um uh kind of in this kind of metal theme uh i i like that kind of idea and world to play with i think like great let's just turn it up to 11 and take everything over the top but then the kind of uh public enemy shout out at the end there were batman public enemies the Batman, Superman, and now Wonder Woman giant robot thing. That was kind of a nice kind of nod to uh, some old school comic shit right there. Yeah. Toy Man coming up big at the end. I mean, I, yeah. I agree. I like this a lot. It's fun. Everything's in this. Like, it's a the whole kitchen sink. I It does. I don't know what this is. Maybe this is uh, a pet peeve. But the idea of Dr. Manhattan having his brain cut out and putting the Batman who laughs in there, <laughs> it, it sticks with me a little bit where I'm like, oh, that's a little annoying. I find that there's something about it that I don't quite trust. I, I agree. That's definitely the thing that holds me up. And we spent a lot of time talking about this with the last issue. I do think Scott Snyder is doing the best job possible with this idea, given that this is part of the universe. But... I really didn't need to see a Dr. Manhattan Batman who laughs, which feels like putting a hat on a hat in the absolute worst way. Uh, Also, the whole idea of Wally West also being Dr. Manhattan to the plan being like, yeah, we'll power you up with your Dr. Manhattan powers and have you fight Perpetua. And now they're like, oh, you're an evil Dr. Manhattan. So we'll just have a bunch of Dr. Manhattans fight. It's... It's purposeful playground imagination, which I get, but it's frustrating. But I was happy that it seems like we're past that now that uh, further ridiculousness. But the Batman who laughs is now the darkest darkest night, night. the darkest night, which is also very silly, but silly in the right way. It gets me past the Dr. Manhattan thing of it all. uh, Hopefully. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, uh, but, agreed. I I just think that lean into it and just you know uh, get kind of like, okay, this is going to get crazy on top of crazy, and we're just going to kind of keep going. Yeah, uh, that's all. As long as they can keep building it up. Snake Eyes Dead Game Number One from IDW Story and Art by Rob Liefeld. This I put in the stack for you, Pete. So take it away. Thank you. Yes, uh, you had me at Snake Eyes. Uh, this was those were the first two words of the title. Yeah, yeah, smart. Yeah, got you. Uh, yeah, what about Rob Liefeld? Yeah, there was a ton of covers for this book. Maybe too it took many. Forever to page through to get to the actual comic, uh, but I was very happy with this. Uh, this funny thing where like. Um, they, for Snake Eyes, they do the three dots because he never talks. And so, like, I thought that was really funny to just kind of have that bubble in there. Um, but, um, yeah, this is kind of an interesting, uh, take for Snake Eyes here. Uh, the bringing back the original G.I. Joe, 
Um, and yeah, I, you know, I'm a sucker for those moments where they're just like, yo, Joe, and like all this kind of craziness. I don't know who this kind of like new mummified red dude is, but, uh, the Scarlet, seeing Scarlet with Snake Eyes again, got me a little choked up. It was nice. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm on board, uh, the kind of last page where it's the live Liefeld super jack chest shot. I don't know why they he keeps doing that, but I wish he would stop. Um, but yeah, cool. Do we ever just pass on reviewing a comic? Can I just pass? <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that possible? Yeah, sure. Uh, no, I mean, I, I'm just like, I don't know about this across the board. I don't, the guy being like, I'm G.I. Joseph or whatever. I'm just like, what? I always, what is this? It's the original G.I. Joe. Yeah. No, I, I know. What did you think like, his name was going to be? But who's it? Who is he? What? He's you're saying this guy's a regular soldier, and then all of a sudden it's like it's this guy, and then a ninja we found, and that's like <laughs> that's how we fight crime. I I still don't get. I know we talked about this too much the last time we talked about a GI Joe book. I just don't get GI Joe. I'm sorry, yeah. uh, See, but I did like the too. conversation where. He's like, yo, can you open this lock faster? And he's like, I'm not lock opener. (laughs) (laughs) Who's the guy who's like, I am. Please call me. That's my job. Nobody calls me. (laughs) Did someone say Uh, snow jobs? But I mean, listen, if you're going to do a book called Snake Eyes Dead Game, get Rob Liefeld to do it. You know what your audience is. It's Pete. Uh, Let's move on to another one I'm excited to talk about with Pete. I, Wolverine 2020 for Marvel, written by Larry Hava, the G.I. Joe guy. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, the G.I. Joe guy's writing, uh, and Liefeld's writing. Yeah, so this is a very Pete stack. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a little switcheroo art by Roland Bashi. Uh, this is very tangentially tying into the 2020 event that's happening throughout Marvel with a robot rebellion. This is pick it up on Albert, I think, is the cyborg Wolverine who's wandering around the Marvel Universe, who is friends with a little girl robot. He's going after her in Madripoor, LCD. of course, and tangling with Donald Pierce and the Reavers. Pete, take it away. Yeah, so this is kind of robot Wolverine, um, and <laughs> kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's a little weird. I, you know, I was like, oh, okay, I guess, but um, yeah, I mean, it's fun. You're you're getting fun action, you know. Um, I, you know, it's kind of it's weird because it's kind of been done, so it's like, yay. I guess it's a robot version of the character I love, but then when he's like throwing the girl's head at a bad guy, I don't, I don't know, man. And the head bites a guy's ear. It's a little, it's a little weird. Um, yeah, I don't know. I liked it. <laughs> I thought it was yeah. fun. Yeah. It's especially part of the the 2020, the Iron Man 2020 stuff. Like this feels, it is tangential, but it feels like it's using that and just telling a fun, wild story. I like the way. Um, it's sort of like the Albert fucks with everyone and then everyone's mad for the next issue. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, me uh, too. I was kind of won over by the end. I really went yeah. into it not wanting to like it at all. And certainly I think there's better ways of coming at this. You know, you could certainly do like, am I Wolverine? Am I not Wolverine? Who am I? And get very moody about it. But this is just going for a good old fashioned Madripoor fuck around. And that's great. 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next up in this Pete stack, Wunch and Future number nine for Boob Studios, written by Kira Gillen and art by Dan Mora. This is starting to wrap up the second storyline in the book, or is it? As mm. the gang Ooh. tangles with Beowulf, who has escaped from his grave and is attacking England, kind of at the behest of the evil King Arthur, mostly through the manipulations of the evil Merlin. Um, and uh, yeah, things get apocalyptic here. What'd you think about this? I mean, this is unbelievable. The art is just so, so great. Uh, the grandma's face um, when she's kind of looking for the perfect weapon to use is just so fantastic. And the little jab where she's like, here, distract him with this part. And she's like, point the pointy end at him. This is just, this is so fun, so creative, very interesting. And even when Beowulf was like, hi, I didn't fall for your trap. I mean, this is just... Uh, I can't get enough of it. And then when she goes back to the old folks home, it's, yeah. she's still hilarious. Uh, the As I've said, I've mellowed, and they were like, you've threatened all of us. It's just so great. Yeah, it's very good. Though I will say every issue of this comic feels like a trailer for the story. And that's not necessarily a criticism, but it just feels like it's like big moments you never any fat on the bone, just like ba boom, ba boom, ba boom. Yeah. Like uh, it's a, such a quick read, and it it is fun. It feels like such it a got, uh, a fun thing for uh, Kieran Gillen to be just kicking around on. It reminds me of Saga in that way, where they always have like the a last panel kind of like thing that gets you excited for the next one. I mean, yeah. Saga does a great job of like giving you a first panel that's unbelievable and a last panel, but this one. Uh, the last panel has always been really great. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not contradicting what you're saying, Pete, but I do agree with Justin that I always feel like I want more at the end of this, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But it is a quick read. There's not a lot going on here. It's all so fun, and Dan Moore's art is so good. But it does to me feel like something where it's like I want to watch this for 90 minutes, two hours, not read it for five to 10 minutes, you know? Yeah. So uh, that's all uh, again. Good stuff. Last one to talk about sacred six. Number one from dynamite comics written by Christopher priest, illustrated by Jay Lee and Gabriel Ibarra. This is bringing together a lot of the ladies of the dynamite universe, or at least their licensed properties. Uh, I gotta say, I was completely confused as to what's going on here, <laughs> but I liked what I saw. Yeah, I sort of agree with that. Like, it definitely, the the way the story unfolds is a little bit hard to parse, the jumping around. And it's jumping to so many different sort of worlds. But when everything starts to come together, it's, it gets really fun really quickly. Yeah, it, I was very confused. I did like the moment where she, like, threw her gun at the zombie and was like, stop, you grabbed my boob. Like, that was uh, really, you're like, oh, wait, this isn't what we think it is, and kind of, like, pulled back, and you see the cameras and the crew and stuff. So it's like, it's really all over the place, and I wasn't sure what store I was in, but uh, it's very interesting. The art's unbelievable. I'm definitely going to check out more to see what's going on. Yeah, Priest all uh, Priest has been yeah. kind of doing this thing for a while where it's very choppy storytelling. Um, with something like this, where you're bringing together, I guess, six disparate characters, 
he is clearly trying to capture each of their tones in each of their different books, which it might be easier. It seems like there's been a bunch of stuff that's led up to this based on the recap page at first, if I had read that, which I hadn't. Uh, but to your point, Pete, uh, particularly from the art perspective, I'm intrigued enough to check out another book because it's a really yep. beautiful package. So excited to see what happens going forward. If you'd like to support our podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books, iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show at comic book live socially, comic book club live.com for this podcast and more. We'll see you at the virtual comic book shop. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.